0: Well, good morning, church. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, open them up to the book of Jonah, a small little book in the Old Testament. We are in the middle of a short sermon series on the book of Jonah. I'm sure for some of you, maybe you've grown up in the church, you've heard the story Jonah on over. I mean, whether it was on a flannel graph, out of a a book, coloring book, or maybe your Sunday school teacher, or maybe your parents, you've heard that story, and it's a very familiar story. And we love it. We love the, the, you know, God's like, go to Nineveh, and he runs away. So we got that runaway prophet. Then we got the, the getting to the port and getting on the ship and the great storm. And then they throw him overboard. and He got the great fish. And then he prays. And then he, he gets spit up on the dry land. And he goes and he gives this great revival. And then there's a, a plant and a gourd. And, and there's all this story, right? But there's, there's a part of the story I felt growing up that we didn't talk much about. I mean, maybe we did, but it was sort of the boring part. It was the prayer. I mean, chapter 2 is the prayer, and it's like, oh, yeah, where's the fish? Oh, yeah, okay, go to the end. Okay, and he spits them out. Yeah, oh, that's, oh, that's gross. That's cool. I don't, I don't know if it was me. It might be some of you as well, but I, I, we get to chapter 2, and we have this incredible prayer. And it's like, maybe we should stop and focus on prayer. I mean, prayer is sort of that thing that's that afterthought, or maybe not an afterthought, it's that pre-thought, like, hey, before we start the service, let's pray. Hey, before we eat this meal, let's pray. Hey, before we start this NASCAR race, let's pray. I mean, there's, there's always some kind of event, that's like, we should pray. So we do, right? And uh, I, I sort of like to admit here that when we're in public, you know, well, it's the pastor's duty, right? So if you're out with me somewhere, that pastor, hey, why don't you go ahead and pray? And of course, you know, I, I'd love to, but it's like, why are we afraid to pray in public? Or why are we afraid to pray in front of each other? I think there's that thing of, maybe we're worried about what our prayer is going to sound like. Maybe I'm going to say the wrong thing. And I, I'm telling you, Hollywood, as much as I do not like Hollywood, they have put out a couple movies where there's a couple prayer scenes that they just nail it. They do. And you can't help but laugh because it's like, yep, that, everybody's thinking it, but nobody's saying it. Ben Stiller and Meet the Parents. Uh, He just tries to pray. He tries to pull it off like he can pray. He can't. If you want to Google, you can. I I mean, but there's one. There's one of my personal favorites, and and I do have to show you this one because it's one of my personal favorites. Uh Before we begin, since this is Aunt Bethany's 80th Christmas, I think she should lead us in the saying of grace. Oh, great. What, dear? Grace! Grace, she passed away 30 years ago. They want you to say grace. The blessing. Hmm. Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. Amen. One nation, indivisible, with liberty amen. and justice for all. Amen. 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 I'm sorry. It's just one of my personal favorites. But isn't that the truth about prayer? It's like, I don't know how to pray. I might sound dumb when I pray, so I don't want to pray in public. And it can be humorous. And and that's sometimes how prayer comes off. But prayer can be long. It can be short. It, it can be cute. It can be very solid in a sense of like, wow, right? It seems like prayer is all over the place. And it seems like there's this mystery to to prayer. And even to the sincerest of us, we're like, I'm not sure how it works. We're supposed to pray, right? I mean, that's part of the life as a Christian is we're supposed to pray. But yet there seems to be confusion and mystery about it all. And and when we get to chapter 2, here's Jonah, and it's no laughing matter. He's in the belly of a fish, and he's going to pray. And it's, like I said, sometimes we just sort of skip over, but it's actually a very powerful prayer. And I want to just, we're going to read through it. I'm going to show you some observations that I've made as I read through this and things I stumbled across. But I think about this in prayer. We have to just sort of stop and say, let's get some basics about prayer. It's communion with God. William Still, Pastor William Still said this. He said, prayer for the Christian is a matter of believing that God is and that he does Respond to those who believe in him that 's the start. We approach us believing that he 's god we 're not and although we we can 't see him, he hears our prayers, and so we pray to him so we 're sort of sitting there sometimes thinking, am I just speaking into the night? Is this a moment of meditation where I got to do some deep breathing and a It's just communion with God. It's coming honestly before him who already knows everything, right? Let's read Jonah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead and the Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths. And I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you've driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. And I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Now, if this is your first Sunday here, and uh, maybe the first you've heard of this sermon series, or the first you've heard of Jonah, you're probably saying, how did we get to this point, right? So a quick rewind. Jonah gets an assignment from God. Jonah disobeys God. He runs the opposite way. He goes to a port, gets on a ship. You think it's going to be an awesome sailing time, right? Off to sea they go. A storm sent by God comes, wakes and shakes everybody to the point where Jonah says, throw me overboard, and it's all good. Sailors don't want to. Sailors are, seem to be pretty righteous men, even though they aren't. And they do everything they can to not throw Jonah over, but they eventually throw Jonah over. The storm stops. A great fish comes by, swallows Jonah, and now here we are. Wow, you look at that, and it's like, oh, <laughs> okay. Three days, three nights in the belly of a great fish. Can we really believe this? And and I know we sort of talked about this in the very first week, but I want you to imagine, think, just go back in time, 200 years ago, 150. Let's just go back 100 years, okay? We don't have to go back that far. Let's go back 100 years. So the year is what, 1922? And you have gone back in time, and you had your smartphone with you. And you're walking around... And you're like, I just FaceTimed somebody on this little thing here. And everybody around you is thinking, no, you did what, What's FaceTime? How, that's impossible. How do you talk to somebody and see their face? That's just completely impossible. That's if we were around 100 years, right? But it, it's real. It works. But they've never seen it 100 years ago, Right? I, and I think about that, you know, when it comes down to it, not, not many of us even know how a smartphone works. So we sit there and we, we doubt, can, can somebody really be alive in a fish for three days, three nights? Well, how do you talk to people on the other side of the world looking at their face? Well, that's impossible if that was 100 years ago, but now it's possible. So could this be possible? We've talked about this. God can do anything he wants, Right. This is true. August 5th of the year 2000, there was a story reported when Air France uh, Flight 71 flew out of the French Polynesia in the South Pacific and landed in Los Angeles. 7.48 at night, at the terminal gate, a maintenance worker looks out and he sees a blanket hanging from the bottom of the plane by the wheel well. They found a 6-foot, 180-pound man. Curled up, virtually frozen inside the will well. He survived the sub-zero temperatures at 38,000 feet. While that plane was flying 600 miles an hour for eight hours. His clothes were shredded. He was covered in grease. He was basically in a coma. His body temp was at 79 degrees. They took him to the UCLA hospital Uh, Medical Center and they said this we don't know of any other person whose body temperature dropped this low and survived usually at 85 degrees It's fatal Now let me ask you this church do you think a six but one hundred and eighty pound man can fly for eight hours in the will well of a flight seven hundred forty seven at thirty eight thousand feet, going six hundred miles per hour in sub zero temperatures of fifty degrees below, not calculating the wind chill, mind you, okay, and finally alive arriving in LA, then being transported to a medical center, then being released and going out to Denny's at night? Think that's possible? No. Exactly. Exactly. But yet we're like, I don't know about that Holy Jonah thing in the, the fish, you know? I don't know. Here's the thing. We don't know how the human body functions or how our phones work, right? Why are we fighting with a God over these things? We just wrestle with God over things like, how could God, how could God? How could God not? God can do anything. And so we come to a conclusion in chapter 1, and in this case right here, God can orchestrate a storm. God can orchestrate a great fish. And it wasn't a just-so-happened. This was judgment. We go back to the last couple weeks, and we realize, does Jonah deserve it? Well, listen, when you turn your back on God, and you basically thumb your nose to God and say, I'm not going to do what you just told me to do, well, do you think you're going to get some kind of judgment? Yes. Yes. Most likely, it will. But the beautiful thing of this is that he deserves judgment, but God gives him mercy. He doesn't get what he deserves. Now, here's a caution I want to make. Sometimes when we talk about things like this, we make the mistake of using the word karma. Karma is basically an Eastern religious belief that what goes around comes around. We hear it all the time. Oh, that's karma in action. Let me, let me ask, uh, as a pastor of this church, a favor of all of you. Please do not speak of karma. Karma and God do not go together. Karma opposes the grace of God. It is not biblical. It is an Eastern religion. Now, we see thoughts of that in ancient history because that was a part of their life. We see it in the scriptures in the New Testament where there was that kind of thought going on that bad things happen when you do bad things. That's the karma thought, right? In the book of John chapter 9, Jesus said this, He's with his disciples and they asked him, he said, hey, Rabbi, this man, there's a man that was blind. He goes, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, he said, it was not this man who sinned or his parents, but the work of God might be displayed in him. See, the disciples thought, this man sinned, therefore something bad happened to him. If it wasn't him, it must have been his parents who sinned, therefore something bad happened to him. That's the Eastern religion. That's the thought of karma, right? And Jesus like, no, no. We look through other scriptures. Job. Job's buddies, his friends, right? They show up, Job, you got a lot of things going bad in your life. You must be sinning. You must be doing bad things because bad things are happening to you but I don't know if you noticed the answer that Jesus gave. Jesus answered with grace. He said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. In this statement, Jesus is acknowledging, guess what? Suffering happens. Suffering happens. And not because of something you did. Sometimes we make bad choices and the result is suffering. Sometimes we make good choices and sometimes the result is suffering. Sometimes we make no choice and the result is suffering. Sort of like the sailor's. They were on the ship with Jonah. Jonah made the bad choice. The storm came because of Jonah. sailors did nothing, but they just happened to be in a storm. In this story, we know it tells us that Jonah ran from God. So his sufferings were his own doing. That is true, right? Judgment may come sooner or later, but judgment will eventually come, and and Jonah is now paying for his disobedience. He's been tossed over into the sea. He is now in the belly of a fish. He's paying for what happened. But here's the thing. We've learned this, is that God loves us so much. He is willing to sink your ship if you're going to go in the wrong direction. We talked about that last week. So here's the thing. God appoints this great fish. He orchestrates creation for his doing. You know, He can part oceans. He can create famines. He can do whatever he miraculously wants to do. And in this situation, he sends a great fish. He's going to show mercy. He does, Jonah, does not deserve a second chance. God's going to give him another chance. So he sends this fish. We read this story. We already know the outcome because we've heard the story over and over. But I want you to pause for a moment and pretend this is the first time you've ever heard the story. It's hard, I know. But try, just imagine you're on a cruise ship and as the cruise ship is out in the middle of the ocean, somebody falls overboard and thinking, oh no. And and, and there's nobody jumping in to save. There's no lifeguard. There's no lifeboat. There's no life preserver. And you see them go under and you're not seeing them come up. And then you see the, the movement of this big shadow and they're like, that is a big fish. That is a whale. What is that? I don't know. And you see it just pass over where your buddy just fell in. And it's like, it's been 10 minutes, 15 minutes. They're not coming up in your mind in your assessment story's over and that's what we have here we, we, there's nothing going to happen right the story should be over but he's alive jonah is alive listen this is just a temporary fix by the way it's a temporary fish fix cuz he's still inside a fish he's still alive he doesn't know how long he's going to survive. He doesn't even know if he's going to survive. He could be in there that first five minutes and think, I can't believe I'm in a fish. I'm done. But three days later, he's still alive. This is a temporary thing, right? We view it, maybe, this, maybe it's like a timeout. You know, parents, you know what I'm talking about? You go to your room and you just think about what you did. God's like, you go to that fish. You think what you just did, right? So he's like in his little timeout situation here with the judgment of God upon him. And he's alone in that belly of that fish. Listen, that first, that first wake-up call of the storm, this is the second wake-up call. And now he's in there with the opportunity to get things right with God. The question is, will he? Or is he just going to grumble and complain inside the fish? Chapter 2. He prays. Then I prayed to the Lord my God. I, think about this. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I'm going to Tarshish. Did he pray on his, on his journey there to the port? No. Did he pray when he got on the ship? God, thank you for the beautiful day. Bon voyage. Did he pray in the middle of the storm? No. Did he pray as he's getting tossed over into the sea? No. Did he pray when he was swimming around? No. He didn't pray till he got inside the fish. He's finally praying. Well done, Jonah. It's about time, right? And here's the thing. We don't know when he started to pray, though. Was it at, when he first got swallowed? Like, oh, oh, I can't, this is gross. It's dark, it smells, it's clammy. Ugh. Lord, help me. Was it then? Or was it at the end of the three days? When he finally came to his senses, like, okay, I've hit rock bottom. I, I need to pray. I personally, I, we don't know, but personally, I like to believe it's at the end. Because it was when he finally sought repentance that the Lord spit him out. I, I don't. We don't know. But here's the thing I do know. Jonah had to hit rock bottom before he finally turned to God. How many of us have that same kind of story? How many of us have had to go through situation after situation after situation after situation where it's like, I can't do this anymore. I have hit rock bottom. I don't think I can have anything else worse happen in my life. God, where are you? It's those rock-bottom moments. It's like those wake-up calls. And some of us, unfortunately, have to hit rock-bottom. Praise God we don't all. My testimony was not one of those, I've been shot five times, stabbed two times. I was in a gang. I did That's not my testimony. My testimony was, I grew up in a church, and my brother told me I was going to hell, so I prayed. Okay? That, that, was, that, was, that, was my, that was my testimony, right? Now, a lot of people have worse situations where they went through so much. Kids, I'm going to tell you right now, you want to know why your parents and your grandparents worry about you so much? And why they tell you, don't do that. Don't hang out with that person. don't go. You know why they do that? Because they know what it means to hit rock bottom. Somebody in their life has probably hit rock bottom. They themselves may have hit rock bottom. And now they're just, they don't want you to go through that. They don't want you to have a Jonah moment. So they warn you and they encourage you, right? They've experienced it. And here's the thing. I have parents come to me all the time. It's like, my kids won't go to church anymore. And I'm going... Now, I'm going to step on some toes, but here it comes. I look at those parents and say, you're the parent. But I can't get, you're the parent. If your child needs an education, you get them in school. If your child wants to be socially active, you plug them into an event. If your child has the skill, the sport, you buy them all kinds of equipment and you take them all over the world. But when it comes to church and you say, my kid doesn't want to go, I'm sorry, load them up. Bring them to church. You're the parent. And here's the thing. It's not just the kids. I hear adults say that too. I hear adults say that too. So, so I hear adults say, man, I need to get back to church. Man, I haven't been to church in a long time. And I'm sitting there going, you're right. Come on back. Come on back. And here's the thing. You, you should come back. But listen, I want to make sure this is clear. This isn't about church attendance. This isn't the pastor of a church saying, I want every seat full. Okay. Every church across America would love to see every seat filled. I I believe that, okay? But it's not about church attendance. Why do we want students to come back? Why do we want youth to come back? Why do we want adults to come back to church? Because it's about connecting and worshiping the God of this universe. It's all about God. It's not about filling the seats or filling the pews or filling the offering. It's about connecting with the God of this universe who loves us. It's about picking up our cross and denying ourselves and saying, You are God, I'm not, and I need to worship you. That's what it's about. We don't want kids, we don't want you to hit rock bottom. Adults, we don't want you to hit rock bottom either. So come on back, plug yourself in to the vine. We are being raised in a world that wants to build up your self-esteem. We want to shield you from our emotions that might hurt you. We cover up our flaws. We disguise our, our, uh, our defects. We never own up to the fact that we blew it. Did you realize that? I don't want my kid to feel bad. I don't want you to feel bad. I don't want to feel bad. I didn't want to feel bad what I just said earlier. But sometimes you got to feel bad. We, uh, we, we take what God has declared as being immoral and we say, it's okay. Why is that? Because if I see something as being immoral against God and I do it, I know I'll feel guilty. I don't want to feel guilty. So I'm therefore going to declare that it's no longer against God. I'm going to do it so I don't have to feel bad. That's where we are today. Truth is whatever you make it to be. We don't want to feel our wrongdoings. And here's the thing. Listen very carefully, church. If you are never imprisoned for your wrongdoings, you will never know what it feels like to taste the freedom of God's grace. Sometimes it takes a rock bottom moment so that we will surrender and give our heart to God. I, I, wouldn't, I don't want anybody to feel bad. But you know what? If that's what it's going to take to get you back to God, here it comes. I'm sorry. Because I've been there too. We've all been there. Jonah is there. He hit rock bottom. He's in the belly of that great fish. And he, and he says he's in, in Sheol, which is, what does that mean? The Hebrew word? It's the underworld. It's a grave. It's a pit. It's described as the place of the dead, a place of no return, a place where there's no praising God. It's a place of punishment. No righteous people are there. It's only those guilty of sin. In other words, it is Hell. That's what is describing his moment right there. And he's like, I can't describe it any other way. So I will use that word, and he does. He realizes that the depth of his sin is beyond his fixing. Look at verses 5 and 7. He says, there he goes, I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. You see this rock bottom moment? I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates lock and shut forever. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in the holy temple. Jonah felt like he had been abandoned by God, which is sort of ironic, because Jonah is the one who abandoned God. He's the one that ran away. And that's the way it works today. We blame God all the time. Hey, God, where are you at? Oh, I forgot I told you not to come into our school. I I forgot, we've told God not to come into our personal lives. God, I'm going to go out and party so your Holy Spirit can't come out with me and see the things I'm going to be doing, okay? And then when something bad happens, like, God, where are you at? He's like, where you told me to be, not with you. And that's sort of what happens. But the reality is, God never abandons us. As his children, we are scripturally told he will never abandon you. He will never leave you. And even in those moments when you feel you are at rock bottom, God is there. And Jonah was rock bottom. And God was right there. I know you feel like I've abandoned you, Jonah. But I'm right here. I'm right here, man. I'm the one that brought the fish to save you. Jonah didn't see how bad his sin was by somebody else telling him. He didn't need somebody. There wasn't like another guy that was in there. And he's like, oh, Enoch, there you are. Hey, what's up, brother? And Enoch's like, hey, you want to know why you're in here, man? You're sinning. You got to stop sinning. Did, did it? He was in there by himself. You don't need anybody to tell you how bad of a sinner you are. It's when you figure it out yourself, I've blown it. That's. When repentance comes, that's when change comes. And this is what happens here. I love this. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah figures it out. After all that prayer, I've hit rock bottom. I'm in here. This is like hell. I don't want to be in here anymore. And all of a sudden he's like, My salvation comes from the Lord alone. Can't work my way out of this one. Can't, can't have somebody else pray me out of this one. Salvation only comes from God. There's another small prophet book, and there's, a, there's quite a few of them there in the Old Testament. One is Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 3. I want to read something to you from there. This is an incredible passage in Zechariah 3. It says, the angel. This is Zechariah speaking. The angel showed me Jeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Can you picture this now? Jeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Jeshua. Jeshua, you did this. Jeshua, you did that wrong thing. That's Satan, okay? And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who's chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick has been snatched from the fire. Remember those words from Jonah? I was snatched out. Jeshua's clothing was filthy, as he stood before the angel. So the angel said to the other standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Jeshua, he said, see, I've taken away your sins. And now I'm giving you these fine new clothes. Then I said, they should also place a clean turban on his head. So he put a clean priestly turban on his head and dressed him in fine new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. In this story, we have Zechariah sees this angel of the Lord and he sort of said, this is what's going down. Jeshua, the high priest, he's being accused of a bunch of sins in his life and that's Satan. Satan's the accuser. He does that. He will try to accuse us before the Lord. But God shows mercy And he chooses to save us despite our sins. And those dirty clothes described here that Jeshua is wearing are sins. So as Satan stands there and accuses us of our sin, God says, I have forgiven you of that. Let me take those dirty clothes off and let me put some new clothes on. We are snatched like this picture here, like this story, we are snatched from the fires. That's mercy. We are dressed in new clothes, which is being renewed in God's spirit. See, the point is salvation is from God, not us. We can't earn our way to heaven. We can't work our way to heaven. He snatches us out of the fire. And it says he dresses us in new life. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Ephesians 4, 20. There's so many verses, uh, scripture in the New Testament that go right along with this, but here's two of my favorite. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so we could be made right with God through Christ. It's through Christ that we are saved. Ephesians 4, 23, 24. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. We are putting on a new nature. We put on these new clothes. We are living now a life of sanctification, which is a process of growing in the Holy Spirit. That's where we're at right now. When it comes down to it, God is mercy. This should humble us, church. This should make us grateful. We were sitting here, no matter where you are, whether it's a rock-bottom situation or not, to understand this, you and I have been snatched from the fire. We've been saved. We have been rescued. We don't deserve it, but He is rescued. That's mercy. And that's what's going on here, and it should humble us. And I think whether it's Jonah or Jeshua or ourselves, we discover, you know, we deserve death, eternal death. And yet God says, I love you, and I will snatch you out of that fire. That's mercy. And this is the greatest deliverance. You know, everybody looks like you know what the the most incredible part of the story is the last verse when the when the fish spits Jonah out. It's like he was delivered from the fish. The greatest deliverance was he was delivered from hell. That was the greatest deliverance. Getting out of fish that's just secondhand, second thought. You know, seriously, Jonah could have just died right there in the fish. He really could have. He's like Jonah. I forgive you. I've heard your prayers. You are forgiven. And Jonah says, thanks, God. And he could have died right there. But that's a merciful God who says, but I'm not done with you yet. And I'm not done with the people in Nineveh. So I'm going to have you get spit up. Yeah, look at verse 10. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Jonah was not inside that fish directing it, tickling its tongue or, you know, making it gag and then, you know, spit up. God did it. And here's the amazing thing. When Jonah jumped out of the boat, he was in the middle of the sea. The fish was in the middle of the sea. And now they're on the shore. So what happens? That means God orchestrated that fish and directed him. Let's go back to the shore where we started, okay? God took that fish right back where he started and spit him up on the shore. And if you were on the shore that day, having a beach day, oh, what a lovely sight that would have been, right? You're sitting all of a sudden, boom, boom, like. That was awesome, right? Who are you jonah i 'm with the uh, Jerusalem Chronicle. Can you tell me about what it was you know we don 't know what happened. All we know is that this happened, and it 's an amazing thing. Jonah did nothing. God did everything again. We think we can save ourselves god 's the one who saves us, and for that, we should be grateful. Let me wrap this up with some, some thoughts for what we can do. Here's the first thing I want to I encourage us as a church. Don't wait to pray. Don't wait for your last breath to pray. Uh, Jonah's day began with a cruise, not a cloud in the sky, and he think it was pretty awesome. And then it turned into a tragedy. He was running from God. Church, don't wait to pray. Spend time every day prayer, communion with God. Don't wait to hit rock bottom. We need to pray. And here's the thing: It's not about escaping a great fish. It's not about escaping a storm. It's about the fact that we've tried to escape a relationship with the God of this universe. We need to quit avoiding God. We need to seek God. That's what prayer is. We're seeking God. Repent. Turn back to him. Admit, God, I don't deserve what you want to give me, but I will take it. I'm sorry. Repent. Think about this. Jonah says this. He said, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that they could have had. See, when we when we cling to worthless idols, we are forfeiting the grace of God. When we say the things that come between us and God are more important than God, that's an idol. And when we cling to those things, when we are more important than who God is, we forfeit grace. And Jonah calls it out. God is not less merciful. The believer has rejected mercy. And we deserve all that comes to us. God is full of mercy. Here's the other thing I would encourage you. I would encourage you to repent. If you've got some stuff going on in your life right now, give it to God, please. Carrying your sins around are a burden. They really are. Give them to Him. The weight that we carry sometimes, the struggles we try to do things on our own, the, the, maybe it's fear, maybe it's emotion, maybe it's not a sin, but it's some. we've tried to carry it, and it is burdensome. I saw this picture and heard this story, I think... A few people maybe also heard of it. But out in Colorado, there was this bulk elk in Colorado. Somehow got his head into a tire and it was stuck. And for two years, he was out in the wilderness there trying to track him to get that tire off. But for two years, he's going around with this car tire around his neck. I mean, hey, you know, Rudolph got called all kinds of names because he had a red nose. What do you think Randy here was going through? I mean, we'll call him Randy. I mean, can you imagine the misery, the kind of elk games he could not play, the kind of name-calling that went on, all the kind of punchlines that came? Hey, hey, Randy, you having a good year? huh? And They probably got to the side of a road, and the, his elk buddies, hey, Randy, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is where the rubber meets the road, and I'm you know, just saying, okay? Or, or maybe his cousin Rudy Rudolph comes along and says, hey, guys, I just want to let you know, Comet, he's my BFF. Randy, he's my BF good, rich friend. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just looked at my wife. I'm sorry. You're probably tired of my jokes. So I'll spare you for any more. I just had to. I mean, okay, so you you can't fault me. I I know, you're a preacher, not an entertainer. I get it. I get it. Okay. But I was at my mom's uh, 90th birthday party yesterday. My mom and dad actually share the same birthday. Um dad passed away seven years ago, but we celebrated mom's 90th yesterday. And here's the thing in our family: dumb dad jokes are all over the place. So, in honor of yesterday, I just had to share some with you. I thought my dad would truly enjoy. He's looking down on heaven right now, saying, That was funny. And now the rest of you are saying, Stop. Just don't go there anymore, okay? Okay, so seriously, back to the elk. Here's the thing, they tracked that elk for a couple years. And they tried to catch it. They tried to tranquilize it. Finally, they tranquilized it, took it down, and then they went to try to cut the tire off, and they couldn't get, there's a steel band. I don't know why they didn't bring the proper tools with them. They knew what they were going to do, right? But they couldn't get off. They had to end up cutting off the, uh, the, the rack on the elk to get the tire off. And you just think about that poor guy. <laughs> yeah, that, that elk had to go through like, man, first I had to burden. Now I got a butch haircut. It's like, this this isn't good. He's not having a good day. But here's the thing. He was released of that burden. Can you imagine two years of the weight just pulling you down? And he was finally released. And that's the thing. I think a lot of us are like that bulk elk. We walk around just carrying things we should not be carrying. And it's like, I don't know how to get it off. I don't know how to get off. We just keep running from God. And we keep running from the one that wants to help us. He ran from those that wanted to tranquilize him and help him. And they're like, we want to really, We just run from God. Stop running. Stop running. Just go to God and say, God, I've got burdens. Would you take them, please? Worship team, would you come forward? Finally, I would encourage the church churches this. Just, just give God thanks. Give him thanks. Jonah found thankfulness not from being delivered from the fish. He said, my salvation is from God. I don't know if you noticed this, but he gave thanks before he ever got out of the fish. He was praising God before he ever got out. He didn't even know he was going to get out of the fish. Sometimes we don't know if we're going to get out of the situation, but we can still praise God in the midst of where we're at because you've already been delivered from hell. And that's worth giving God praise. Church, I encourage you to pray. Give Him your burdens and give Him thanks. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for being an awesome and mighty God. I thank you that you love us so much that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And God, I thank you that in the midst of of troublesome times, in those moments of storms when something great comes our way and we just seem to be swallowed up by everything that's going on around us, we forget to look to you. And in those rock-bottom moments, unfortunately, that's when we turn to you. God, I pray that we don't have to hit rock bottom. I pray that we don't have to go through trouble sometimes. But when we do, help us to turn to you. Lord, I pray for this church that we spend more time in prayer with you. That as confusing or humorous or fearful that we might think prayer is, help us to simply develop a relationship with where we talk with you and then we listen to you. Help us, Lord. To seek you in prayer. Help us, Lord, to repent of our sins. Help us, Lord, to give our burdens to you. Take them off our backs. Take them off our hearts. Remove them from us, Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you love us enough, that you've snatched us from the fire. We praise your name. What an awesome God you are. God, we want to sing to you now. We want to lift your name up and give you all the praise and glory. In my name we pray. Amen.